Welcome back to another episode of Stacking Denny's. I'm Jordan McAbee of FantasyRacingOnline.com. My co-host, Nick Giffen of the Action Network. Nick, um, this is becoming quite the um, repeatable story. Tire issues, people getting hurt, uh, shit show of a race. The bad part is this is in the playoffs. Uh, Texas, Tyler Reddick ends up in victory lane. His third win of the season, his third win of his career, his first non-road course race. Big names having issues again, including Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., Alex Bowman, all these guys having bad races, really shaking up the playoff picture right now, including, which we're going to get to in a little bit, uh, William Byron and his penalty, 25-point penalty today handed down by NASCAR for William Byron's actions at Texas last weekend, uh, really shaking up the playoff standings. 13.4% of voters in Jeff Gluck's, col- Jeff Gluck's poll said that this was a good race. This is the second lowest race ever in the poll. Only the Texas All-Star race from earlier this season was lower, which is at 11%. Do you agree with that? Was, it, was this at that bad of a race, or what do you think? Yeah, um, it wasn't a great race, but I didn't think it was a bad race, uh, if that makes any sense. Um, I enjoyed the actual racing, believe it or not. When they were racing, you know, when tires weren't blowing, etc., uh, I enjoyed the actual racing. You could pass through the lead, tires mattered, you could pass through the pack, um... So in that regard, I enjoyed the racing. I did not enjoy the amount of tire issues we had. I think it would have been... I I actually voted, and I'm, I know I'm going to get hate for this. I voted yes in that poll. And I was one of the few who did. Because you could... Like, I, I talked about the racing part. But it also, you know, being almost 39 years old now, reminded me... Of NASCAR that I grew up and loved in the 90s and and early 2000s where there was attrition. Uh, It wasn't easy to drive these cars. Um, You know, you could pass. I thought it was like a really old classic style NASCAR race. Other than every time somebody got in the lead, they blew a tire. That was the frustrating part. If we didn't have that... It would have been an excellent race. So th- those issues weren't enough for me to say this was a bad race. I don't think it was a great race, but I didn't think it was uh, a-, a bad race either. I was just like, eh. But, you know, I-, I-, I certainly understand why 87% of people or whatever it was voted bad race. And, and I fully, fully understand. I fully understand if you disagree with me. I'm not going to argue my position anymore other than that. I really enjoyed the actual racing, and I would have – it felt very nostalgic to me other than the blown tires for the lead. I, I actually didn't think there were many other issues outside of that and, I guess, NASCAR officiating, but they've had problems if, in officiating in their whole history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's a question for you. Do you think it was one of the worst races of the season? No, I don't think it was. I think Martinsville was the worst race of the season, and it's not close for me. Right. Okay. Yeah, Martinsville is definitely up there, and, and it's up there in the in the poll as well as you know being just an overall an awful race. But uh, nineteen different lap leaders at Texas, eleven of them led ten or more laps. Tyler Reddick led the way; he led seventy laps uh, on his way to victory lane. Justin Haley ended up third. Chase Briscoe with the top five. Uh, Michael McDowell finishing eleventh. Corey LaJoy finishing fourteenth. One thing that this car is doing, and and these issues, it, it, it's bringing. It's it's get it's doing what NASCAR wanted. It's bringing these 
lower teams a chance to compete. Like, how often do we talk about Justin Haley, especially before this season, or College Racing, or any of the lower teams actually competing for solid top five finishes? And we're talking about it almost on a regular basis now with this with this season in this car. Now, the only thing I have to say about that, I, I love the parody. I love I love seeing all these different drivers. I, I, I mean, I hate it from like a DFS perspective, a betting perspective, but as far as the actual racing itself. I appreciate all these guys getting a chance. I don't think I don't really like the the tire issues and how they're coming. It seems like lately that it's becoming more and more of an issue. Uh, maybe it's because we're finally getting back to these mile and a half tracks and they just don't have it figured out on how not to blow these tires. But uh, I do like the 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 lower guys, quote unquote, being able to get up there and challenge. Um, but one thing you know that we have to consider, especially with all these tire issues, is this is kind of determining a championship. And I don't know if I like that because right now it's almost just like a survival um, championship. The way you're getting it, like the way you're getting through the playoffs right now is surviving. And I'm not sure I'm depending on like this is obviously going to depend on how everything shakes out because we have a very unpredictable race coming up this week at Talladega. We then have the Roval to, to close out this round of the playoffs. If a if a very good driver or or a couple good drivers don't make it to the next round, I'm going to say, well, these tire issues are causing an issue. Whereas if like Chase Briscoe or or some of the guys that you expect not to make it to the next round, I'm going to be like, okay, it really wasn't that big of an issue. So it, it becomes part of that. But I I still don't like these these tire issues and everything that that have kind of plagued this this team and these cars all season, um, becoming such a factor in in the actual playoffs and and determining a champion especially if it if it comes down to the championship race and and that determines who takes home the crown like that's just going to be very frustrating but at the same point you know, you know I, I did want to say though you know there are guys that just haven't been having these issues uh, especially the track house guys you know yeah. they've been surviving and that's they've intentionally set up their car the tire pressures to meet the goodyear minimum recommendation i've, I've heard them you, talk about that so in that case is it actually somewhat on these teams and i know rodney childers had a tweet thread about it about how they're going below minimums every race and uh well track houses and, and look they're they're not having these blown tire issues you you absolutely read my mind because the the more races we get under our belt with with these these crew chiefs do have to adjust and they say that they're stuck in a box and that they can't really do anything but at the same time you see a tweet like that from Childers and like you said there's there's teams that aren't having these issues especially at the frequency of these other teams I feel like there is something that can be done people just don't want to do it because they're like Childers said it they do it for speed they that's how they get speed and when you uh, when you're not able to do that with the car and it causes those issues, you're really playing with fire. And I mean, now, you know, we're going into date or Talladega and chase Elliott is barely above the cut line. You know, he was barely above the cut line before the, uh, William Byron penalty, but even now he's only 11 points above the cut line. What blown engine to start out Talladega. And he's going to be, you know, in serious jeopardy of possibly making it just to the third round. And we were talking about him skating his way to the, to the final four, you know, Joey Logano right now is in the, the best position of all 37 points above the cut line. Chastain's plus 25 Larson plus 23 and Blaney plus 22, you know, Blaney who almost didn't make the playoffs this year is now sitting very pretty, um, you know, going into arguably one of his best tracks and, and then the Roval, which Blaney has been very good at Rovals in his career. So, um, 
Nobody's safe. Nobody's safe. I mean, uh, even, remember remember Bristol? Blaney was let, like, what, 30-something points to the good going into the Bristol cutoff race, yep, and he yep, nearly yep, almost yep. didn't make the next round? Nobody is safe when Talladega is the next one on the schedule. I, I You know, and I'm sure we'll talk about the Byron situation, but it, the, the penalty appeal is interesting because I'm sure they want that rescinded, but then it puts Chase Elliott that much closer to the cut line as well, so kind of a double-edged knife or sword or whatever you call that phrase. I'm not a good English person. I'm a math guy. But, uh, you know, it's it, it, that's, it's that's it's just wide open uh, because we've got such crazy races. I mean, Christopher Bell could go out and, uh, you know, win Talladega or win the, the Roval, and Alex Bowman could do the other, and then all of a sudden everybody is uh, on the cut line here. Uh, so this is... This is absolutely wide open, and you know even Joey Logano, thirty-seven points clear, leading the standings right now. If he's the first one out at Dega, all of a sudden he you know rubber bands right back towards that cut line as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right now we're looking at Joey Logano, Ross Chastain, Kyle Larson, Ryan Blaney, uh, Hamlin, Suarez, Elliott, and Briscoe as the top eight. But like you said, uh, Talladega coming up this weekend, and. and no idea how this is going to play out you know just like we saw or as we saw at daytona we could get a random rain shower you know we got that hurricane hitting florida that's probably going to come up and affect this race at talladega i've actually seen the possibility that this could be a complete washout which could end up switching the whole schedule around this year mm-hmm. um depending on what happens with the rain from the from the hurricane but you know we could see another situation there where the the entire field gets taken out due to a random rain shower um yep. and you know that's that's just that's the the product of this super speedway racing. Yeah, and and here's here's a couple interesting little tidbits that I've thought about as we've been discussing this. Let's go back to track house here because uh, if Rodney Childers and and this I 100% believe everything he said. You know, if teams are optimizing for speed and they're going below the minimums, but track house isn't, that actually makes me like. Ross Chastain at these mile and a half less, you know, and Daniel Suarez less at this yes. time of year for their upside, but it makes me like their title odds more because it means they're more likely to get to Phoenix, right? We still have another mile and a half at Vegas. We have Mar- uh, sorry, Homestead, which you got to think there could potentially be tire issues as well as another high speed mile and a half. It's just shaped differently, banked differently, has high tire wear. Uh, it makes me like Ross to get to the finals more, uh, and then at Phoenix go for speed or whatever you need to do, right? You know, and if you're not first, you're last at Phoenix. That's all there is right. to it. So, it it that's it makes me like like betting Ross a little less. And you know, had I known going into Texas, I probably wouldn't have bet Ross to win. Uh, I did have a, a ticket on him to win, and obviously I had that Reddick ticket, but. Uh, and a couple other guys. Uh, I had a Suarez ticket, so you know maybe makes maybe make makes me like my Suarez ticket a little bit less had I known going in. But now that we've heard from Trackhouse or Justin Marks or we've heard from Rodney Childers, these different things makes me want to switch up my strategy on betting Ross uh, more focused on the championship and, and even same with Suarez, right? Talladega is such a wild card. We know Suarez is not a good super speedway racer, but if he just survives, and there's always that question of if he survives too, but the times he has, he's been able to occasionally pull off a finish. Uh, it's not common, but he could, if he just survives the wrecks, finish in like fifth or sixth or whatever. And then both track house drivers have been great at road courses this year. They look pretty solid to get in the next round, especially Ross, uh, to get into the next round. 
And then you got to think that round sets up really well for Ross with Vegas, Homestead, and Martinsville. Three tracks he should be really good at. And we know he came through the field at, at Martinsville earlier this year. One of the only guys who could pass. Uh, and, and the mile and a half in Homestead should be right in his, his wheelhouse here. And then he nearly won Phoenix earlier this year. So uh, it, I wouldn't actually be surprised if Ross could theoretically be the title favorite right now because there really isn't a favorite. I mean, you would think Chase Elliott, but now he's right back down towards the cut line. And, and even though you know he's great at these Rovals and has a very good chance of winning them, uh, if he doesn't and he's only won, what, two of the road course races this year, one of them? Uh he has no road course wins this year, does he? No, he doesn't. He hasn't won a single road course race this year. Uh, that's 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 wild to me. Um, then, you know, Chase Elliott might be out in this round. And we talked about it uh, several he times. He a single, single road course race? He hasn't when won a single year? road course race. His wins are Dover, Nashville, Atlanta, Super, uh, you know, Pseudo Speedway, and Pocono. Oh, yeah. He finished second at Road America, but that was when Ch- uh, Reddick beat him. Reddick, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So... You know, it, it, <clears throat> we talked about with Harvick missing the play, uh, missing the finals two years ago with a dominant lead coming in. We talked about Larson, who nearly missed the finals last year. We could be saying, seeing the same with Elliott this year as a realistic possibility. And he wasn't nearly as dominant as Harvick or Larson in those past two years. So right. uh, almost got to think maybe somebody like Ross Chastain is the title favorite right now. Uh, potentially somebody like a, a Kyle Larson or a Joey Logano just because of their point situation, although I don't think Logano's been amazing at road courses this year. He probably will be okay if he gets through Talladega unscathed. But maybe somebody like Ross is the title favorite at this point in time. I'm not really sure. Like, I know he, betting odds-wise he's not, but if you think about it, maybe he is. And I'm sure that's not pers- or in any way determined by the ticket you're holding of Chastain champion this year, right? <laughs> it's actually not. Like, I I don't want just, him to be the just favorite actually, right now. Yeah, just actually thinking it through. Um, yeah. But but uh, one thing about, um, you know, this is the time of year. These This round with Talladega, it's always interesting to, to, to bet um, when it comes to playoffs. And typically, like right now, Bet Rivers is the only one that offers these. But they have odds to make the round of eight. And they have, like, really stupid odds when it comes to the actual favorites. But guys like Christopher Bell, plus 100, Alex Bowman, plus 115, I don't mind – there you go. I don't mind maybe putting some money on Christopher Bell to make it to the next round because he's really only had one bad race in these playoffs um, just to have a little bit of action. But every every other odds on there, um, not that – that great when it comes to making the round of eight now they also have odds to make round uh top four and you were talking about daniel suarez along with ross chastain daniel suarez to make the final four is plus 450 do you do you see any value there it's the same odds as uh christopher bell alex bowman's at plus 900 um with suarez to make the final four probably not i would have to Mm -hmm. look at like how good he is at Martinsville in his career. It's not really – it doesn't seem like a place he stands out. Uh, so I'm going back and looking at this Gibbs results, uh, 32nd, 15th, 18th, 9th, 10th, and 31st. So a career best of 9th when he was with Joe Gibbs Racing at Martinsville. Um, 29th earlier this year. So I think it's going to be – especially with his 
playoff point deficit compared to some guys like Elliott or his teammate Ross Chastain even, I think it's probably going to be too tough for him, so I probably wouldn't take that. I like Christopher Bell more at plus 450 than I like Daniel Suarez, just because I think the upside is there more with Bell. One thing I thought was interesting, you could get Bell to win the championship 20-1, to but at Westgate here in Nevada, you can get him 25-1 to to win the championship. I was considering it. I still am considering it. I have... Chastain 50. I've got Blaney 16 and 12. 12 from earlier in the year and 16. Like, uh, remember you and I bet like Truex and Blaney right before the uh, the Daytona race or whatever for the title. And then I've got Byron at 18 as well when the playoffs started. So um, thinking of adding a Christopher Bell 25 and having four four bites of the cherry here in this uh, playoffs. I really hope that Byron, as a as a Byron championship bet, I really hope that penalty gets rescinded. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we can go ahead and, and talk about that. Uh, although I do agree with you, like like a week or two weeks ago, because we didn't record last week, but two weeks ago we were talking about you know Christopher Bell as being not only the sleeper but could possibly end up being the favorite for this championship this year. And now he's had one bad race, and books are just completely turning on him. Which you understand, like why? Because all it all it takes is one bad race to get knocked out here. But at the same time, the unpredictability of Talladega. Christopher Bell is a very good road course racer. If he can just make it to the next round, I really, I still really like his odds to get to Phoenix. So right now, I think is the time to pounce on Christopher Bell. Although I also. Uh, it, it's not an awful idea to, if you want to wait, wait until after Talladega, if he has a bad Talladega race and he gets, you know, maybe five more points to the, to, to the worse, um, that could, you know, it's just going to lengthen his odds there for the books. But yeah, right there with you on Christopher Bell, um, odds there for, for the next round, uh, final eight, uh, or final four and championship, depending on what you can get him at. But going on to this penalty for William Byron, you know, I, I honestly didn't see this until I think yesterday, uh, Monday. He just straight up wrecked Danny, Danny Hamlin under caution, and and I know like there's so many aspects of this whole situation. First off, NASCAR saying that they just didn't see it. What the fuck? I'm getting so sick of these these excuses that they have that are just complete bullshit. Denny Hamlin finally did call them out on the bullshit, uh, as did Kevin Harvick. Like, there's no way that the rest of the world saw this and you didn't. Like, there's no possible way that you did not see this. But they did end up finding uh, William Byron 25 points, which, like I said, is huge in the in these playoffs. Find him $50,000. And then also find Ty Gibbs $75,000 uh, for his little incident with, uh, who was it, Ty Dillon on yeah. pit road. You know, um, I I don't know 100% what happened there. I, I know you said you have an opinion on it, so I'll let you go ahead and and. and talk about that yeah we'll start with byron i and again this has nothing to do with me holding a byron championship ticket i just think that penalty is harsh um byron said in his interview he meant to get into danny hamlin he didn't mean to spin him uh it's not like a kyle bush incident versus ron hornaday or whatever where he just straight up turned him into the wall under caution uh and was riding his ass for a while and then just like intentionally turned him byron is trying to give danny the whole the whole like hey i didn't appreciate that thing and it accidentally got out of control spun him out under caution should there be a penalty yeah it should have happened in race he should have been held for a lap that's usually like one or two lap hold is usually the traditional penalty uh that would have given him a chance to make it back up uh and it probably would have cost him less than 25 points so i think 25 points is 
very harsh. Uh, the, mon- the money doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it's more the points. I think that's pretty harsh, especially because NASCAR screwed up the missed officiating it in the race. Uh, they either would have sent him to the tail end, held him a lap, or held him two laps. That's traditionally been, depending on the severity, the, the, like the intent, etc., it's traditionally been the thing. Occasionally, I think in very rare circumstances, like egregiously intentional to park somebody. But uh, in this case, it's very clear Byron meant to get in Hamlin, and he didn't mean to wreck him. I think I, there's no chance Byron meant to dump Denny Hamlin. He just meant to be like, yo, I don't appreciate that. And... Got, definitely got into him too hard and in the wrong way and spun him out 100%. And and that's what Byron said. Yeah, I meant to hit him, but I didn't mean to spin him out. So that's where I stand on that. I think it should be reduced to maybe 10 or 15 points. I think that would be fair. And uh, move on from there. As far as Ty Gibbs, uh, I have a lot of problems with this penalty from NASCAR because it is no deterrence whatsoever. The money you know his grandfather has gajillions of dollars, so that's not an issue. The points don't matter because that team is out of the playoffs because they switched the team owners, right? He's not no longer in that Kurt Busch ride. He's in the Bubba Wallace ride, so in the owner right. standings, whatever, if they finish you know, 18th versus 19th in the owner standings or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, so there's zero deterrence here, and the other problem I have is look at Ty Gibbs, people like get on Ross Chastain because he's too aggressive, etc. But Ross isn't intentionally door slamming people, intentionally doing this repeatedly multiple times throughout the year in multiple series. Ross is just racing hard and aggressive. That's different than intentionally door slamming somebody, whether it's on pit road or not. We saw Ty Gibbs do it with Allgaier at Kansas like a week or two ago or whatever it was. Um, and we saw, you know, he's had mix up with John Hunter Nemechek, his own teammate. We, he's had mix ups with a fight in the pits with Sam Mayer. Like, Ross isn't yeah. sitting here getting into fights. He's not sitting here intentionally door slamming people. He's just racing aggressive because that's how Ross's racing style is. So if y'all are going to hate on Ross Chastain, and I know Jeff Burton absolutely laid into Ross Chastain on TV, why is Jeff Burton not absolutely laying in to Ty Gibbs on TV? Um, this penalty is a complete joke for a guy who literally put lives in danger. Whereas Ross is not a single time put a life in danger other than you can talk about the safety of these cars and wrecking somebody, but he's never intentionally like even the wrecks with Denny were never intentional. They were mistakes. Uh, whereas Ty Gibbs is intentionally door slamming somebody on pit road where people are exposed. The car could literally run over these people. Uh, if, if, you know, if Ty Dillon wasn't had wasn't able to control his car, if Ty Gibbs had gone a little further with it, people's lives could have been in danger. Had the, uh, their their health or their lives could have been in danger, and that is an absolute joke of a penalty from NASCAR. You know what would have happened if Ty Dillon did end up running over one or two or whatever pick remembers? Ty Gibbs would probably be suspended for the next year and a half or whatever. You know, the rest of the season, all of next season, if he killed or maybe never, maybe just black blackballed from NASCAR altogether. I don't know if he did that. But because, you know, Ty Dillon missed by 10 or 15 feet, these crew members, all of a sudden it's a slap on the wrist. And I think that's a joke. And I think Ty Gibbs' apology is a joke. Nowhere does he say, I shouldn't have door slammed him. I need to, you know, at least when the Allgaier incident, he said, I shouldn't have done that. 
Now he's just saying I need to be more aware of my spatial surroundings or whatever. More aware of my surroundings. He didn't say I shouldn't have done that in this apology. So that is what ticks me off even more, is that apology is such a sham. Uh, such a, a complete non-apology that it, it, he hasn't been taught a lesson at all from NASCAR by this whatsoever. The official penalty report listed it as second offense. Um, yeah, that's the, the thing. With, with, with the Martinsville run-in with Sam Mayer where he you know, tried to wreck him, I think it was on the cool-down lap, um, or run it and actually ran into his, his, his car on uh, pit road post-race. Um, yeah, it's... And you couldn't have picked a he couldn't have picked a worse spot to door slam Ty Dillon. Like there's nobody on pit road except right where they were, and that's where he decides to do it. Like I, I, I'm with you. I I think his, his apology is on pit road. Period. But, well, yeah, <laughs> but like you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. like no, exactly. if you're gonna do it, like that's just like you're you're gaining the reputation of a of a silver spoon little fucking you know what you are trying to like disprove you're just proving it every single day and um it's it, yeah it, i don't know what to think about the penalty i i you know him getting seventy five thousand dollar fine compared to byron's fifty thousand dollar fine it's like what like why and yeah like the, the points do absolutely nothing like even if they would have disqualified him from the race that would have done absolutely nothing like and i get he's not a full-time uh, cup driver, like you can't go into the other series and and penalize him there. But at the same time, like it does seem like a slap on the wrist. And and yeah, his his apology is just so. Mm, I, I I don't like it. But but going back to to Byron Quick and and Chastain being um um aggressive, we did uh we got a question on Twitter about this, and it, it's actually a very good one. Um, not that we don't get good questions but um does this byron penalty make chastain payback less likely because nascar has now sent a message if you do something to somebody we're gonna react i don't think so because i don't think these people are gonna do it under caution um Mm -hmm. you know uh the the kenseth logano incident is such a rare and unique circumstance i don't think that's something we can compare to either because kenseth was wrecked in multiple laps down and just intentionally pile drive the guy on the wall and it was the greatest moment in nascar history uh i loved it but um you know kenseth got sat for a race uh but if you do it more like at martinsville or you kind of i mean even though the kenseth logano says marvels but you kind of just like move the dude out of the way and get him really high or you know if you even if you just intentionally dump him uh as long as it's not egregious and you're multiple laps down or it's under caution i think you're gonna be okay um so yeah that's a super good question and it is something we always have to of course think about with ross chastain on this well i like maybe maybe is he the championship favorite now there's always the possibility of payback um but the thing about payback is if you cost ross a championship and there's still you ain't Phoenix winning left, it either <laughs> you ain't winning it either right so what is the smartest avenue to going here and doing this if you're denny hamlin and you pay ross back and then you're in the final four you ain't winning the title ross is going to find some way to block the shit out of you or or dump you or something i don't i don't know if ross is the dumping type but He'll absolutely find a way to get near Denny Hamlin in that race and make it so that Denny Hamlin doesn't win the championship. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. there has to be that consideration as well. If you do the payback, it pretty much has to end his race at Phoenix is the payback you have to give him. Uh, 
it's it's a really really tough situation here, and um, I don't think it makes payback less likely. I just think it it, uh, it it sends a message about doing things under caution. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing here is Byron's. What Byron did was under caution, which you know is a major no no. I think it slightly, very slightly decreases the chances of Chastain getting payback or getting paid back, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's significant enough that it's not going to happen. I still expect Chastain, something to happen with one of these guys getting Chastain back. I don't know if they're, they're going to fully wreck him, but something is going to happen. And honestly, like obviously Talladega, something can happen, but I think most likely it's going to happen at the Roval next week. That's where you can really, you know, you can rough a guy up at these, at these road courses yeah. And NASCAR's not going to do anything about it. They're, it's like the, the racing there is tough, and you can make anything look like an accident at a road course. So, as bad as JGR has um, been at road courses this year, though, I don't know if Danny Hamlin will be sniffing Chastain. <laughs> that's that's very true. Very true. Um, but yeah. So as far as Byron goes, um, uh, Pockers did the math. If if he was held one lap, um. With wave, without wave around or free pass, he likely would have finished 25th, <clears throat> which would have been basically an 18-point penalty. Uh, if he was held two laps, he was likely finishing 28th, which would be 21 uh, points nice. worse. Um, and then, so he said 25-point penalty seems somewhat appropriate, um, but probably only 10 points would if he would have been sent to the rear of the lead lap. So it all would have depended on you know this the situation and how things played out if Byron was actually penalized during the race. But like I said, this all goes back to NASCAR completely missing it. And I think that's like, that's the point of the story that people are not paying attention to is NASCAR. Once again, just completely fucking sucks. And that also is assuming. Yeah. NASCAR just horrible officiating, uh, in that particular situation. Um, it, it also comes down to, you know, there was still plenty of time left in that race. Byron could have gained one or some of those laps back, whether it's wave rounds or lucky dogs. So, whether it's 21 or 18 or 10, all those probably actually would have been reduced even further because Byron would have been passing right. crappier cars. So I think a 20-point max, absolute max penalty would have been fair, but I'm more along the lines of 10 to 15 points, I think, is in the range of fair. Um, I'm okay with a 15-point penalty, but you know that would uh, put him a couple points clear of the cut line and at least in a little bit better situation as a ticket holder of his, I, I would be happy with that. But uh, just also as common sense logic, if you miss the call, you miss the call. You got to make the penalty in line with what the penalty would have been in the race. Had you done that? And this is nowhere near in line, in my opinion. The issue with the um, appealing this penalty is, there's probably 0% chance at this thing. It's definitely not going to get completely withdrawn. Um, I think the only chance you have is maybe they'll reduce it, but I, I still don't see that happening. I, I, I've been wrong before, but you do. I think a good, uh, arbitration, whatever judge, uh, would realize there's no way had they enforced it in race and looking back at traditional penalties for these, whether it's, tail end, one lap down, no wave around, no lucky dog, uh, two laps down, no wave around, no lucky dog on that particular caution, that he would have been anywhere other than at least within 21 points, as Bob said. So you got to give him some points back, and I think Hendrick could reasonably argue 
you know, he, he would have had opportunities to pass other people back. And, um, you know, it, it could have been tail end. It could have been one lap down. So I think there's a very reasonable argument to be made that, yes, he should have been penalized, but it should be reduced in severity. And a good judge would listen to that argument and say, where is NASCAR getting 25 points from? Um, you know, I mean, the only other argument I could say is that they're attacking on five points for um, a boneheaded move. Maybe they would have deducted him five points anyway if they had penalized him in race. But that's the only thing I could see about that. Uh, but, you know, if you if you penalized him 25 points and penalized him in race, that's like double penalizing him. So I don't think, you know, like that's like a... 40 point penalty or so ballpark, you know, or anywhere from 35, 35 to uh, like 55 points, double penalizing him. And, and we're not there. So NASCAR wouldn't have done that, I don't think. So I think there's more of an argument for reducing it than for keeping it the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. I, I always forget how long those appeals processes take, isn't it? Like, we're here next week or will, will they get it done this week? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I always forget. But anyway, we'll figure it out sometime. Um, obviously, I think it's definitely going to be before you know the Roval because of the playoff implications these points have. But we could be talking a week from now about how penalty got overturned or, or changed a little bit, and you know shakes up the points once again. But as of now, William Byron eight points below the cut line after that twenty-five point penalty. But we do have Talladega coming up next, which I know you fucking love talking about. Um, I don't got anything else on Texas, do you? I'm glad we're not racing there again this year. Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> I guess the only other thing we could talk about is what do they need to or going to do with that track because, um, honestly, I honestly thought the racing was pretty good, but with the current situation of the cars as well uh, and the rules and the technical rules of, uh, with whatever Rodney Childers was talking about, Create a lot of problems. Um, but I honestly, I thought the heat of the day racing in Texas was really good. Uh, it didn't. It wasn't as good at night. Uh, I'll, I'll give that. It was a little bit harder to pass, and the leaders just kind of ran away with it. But during the heat of the day, I thought that racing was really good. Uh, and so then it just becomes, what do you do with Texas? Uh, Kyle Larson said, "Bulldoze the damn thing." And you know, Dale <laughs> Jr. said, "They're not going to do that. They're going to keep this footprint. Maybe they can make some changes." So that's the big question what what becomes of texas uh it's you know it's losing the all-star race it's uh now down to one race on the calendar completely so do they keep it the same do do they make more changes Uh, do they make it another atlanta god i hope not uh where does it go (laughs) from here and yeah i i don't think they even have any plans to change anything like i don't even think it's on their radar yeah. You know, because at this point, why would they? Right. Yeah. Drivers are bitching, but NASCAR got the drama that they wanted and there's people that still bought tickets to the race. So what's going to force them to do anything? Yeah, Nothing. Exactly. I mean, the drivers aren't going to like suddenly boycott a race. So I did, I did find Kyle Larson's, uh, comments about bulldozing it pretty pretty funny um (laughs) he did he also said he'd like to see them change it from a one and a half mile track to something shorter yeah which you know again that's what i'm saying though dale jr is like they're not gonna you know get rid of the footprint of this track or whatever so you know i think they're gonna 
in whatever change you need to make to the track, I think it's still going to be a mile and a half quad oval type thing. Could you like break it down into two different tracks and run a different course for the NASCAR race? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Tough to say. You could make it. I think what would be really interesting um, is if you made it. If you made it a roval, but if you made it literally just the oval, and then you you come down pit lane, and for pitting, you pit on the front stretch. What? <laughs> <laughs> it would force you to do like this little chicane on the front stretch, and uh, I don't know. Uh, well, I forget. No, I forget. I was thinking of a of a of a more. Um, I was thinking of the front stretch. It wouldn't be curved, but it, it is totally curved. Never mind. Just ignore mm. me. Okay. <laughs> ignore me. I don't have any good solutions. <laughs> um, quick one more thing before we go to Talladega. Um, looking at the last 15 races, you know I like looking at these stats. Average finish-wise, among drivers that have competed in all 15 races, can you guess who's third best average finish? I'll give you a hint. Kyle or Chase Elliott is first at ten point seven, and Kyle Larson is second at twelve point one. I would have said Bubba Wallace because I knew he was on a streak there, but then he's had some some rough races. But I mean, that would be my best guess. After that, I have no idea. Austin Sindrick. Really? Wow. At thirteen point one, and then Daniel Suarez thirteen point three. Damn, that's crazy. That is very surprising. Mm-hmm. And obviously we went through that stretch of road course races. Austin Cindric's really good at road course races, as is Trackhouse. But that is that's something. Yeah. Not that I think Austin Cindric is suddenly, you know, a, a, a long shot to make it to to Phoenix. But Yeah, no, I mean these finishes haven't been great. They've mostly been in the teens. Uh right. obviously Road America and Atlanta are unique tracks. Uh, Indy road course is unique. Daytona is unique. So, like, of the actual racing tracks, you know, Nashville was a good finish. Uh, but everything else has been 12th or worse. <laughs> but, but, remember what we were talking about earlier with these playoffs? Survive. Mm-hmm. You know, right now he's seven points below the cut line and looking at super speedways this season – he obviously won the Daytona 500. He finished 21st at Talladega, and then he finished third at Daytona. Yep. So definitely he finished third something at Atlanta to, and uh-huh. 32nd at Atlanta. So if you can include those as drafting tracks. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Talladega, though, the last time we were here was Ross Chastain in victory lane. And when I was doing the math, you know, we got a, a Twitter question about going over optimals for Talladega. I didn't do the last five. I did the last three. Uh, this last Talladega this year, the first Talladega race, optimal lineup used the entire 50,000 on DraftKings. Yep. And I don't know if I've ever seen that. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I do know that uh, that was the optimal lineup, but uh, nobody ended up with the optimal, I think, in the, the big contest. No, I think no. it was a second or third optimal that ended up in the, you know, as the winning lineup. I'd love to know the percentage of times that the optimal is actually picked in a in a GBP because I would I would guess less than ten percent 
For super speedways or just in general? Super super speedways. Gotcha. Yeah, I was going to say for super speedways, I would think it's probably less than 10%. In general, you know, <clears throat> it's it's much more. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, for super speedways, I agree. I think it's pretty rare. Even, so, so, even the Daytona 500 this year when it was a millionaire maker contest wasn't the optimal. Right, right, yeah, with all those entries. But um, that is – that's something I – uh, you know, people like to look at, obviously it's good to look at the data for previous optimals, but try not to like keep that in your mind that you, you have to like stick to these uh, points of, of what's been optimal in the past because the chances of you hitting it are so low. It's like, you just need an overall strategy. And, and I, I want to get into Daytona versus Talladega. Cause I feel like there's quite a bit of difference, mm-hmm. believe it or not, because Talladega and Daytona are such different tracks. And when you look at the last, uh, last two years of optimal lineups, um, on super speedways. So Daytona this year, um, average finish or average start of the two optimal lineups was 22.2 at day in the Daytona 500 and 32.7 in the second Daytona race with, you know, the back markers basically just killing it. Now, lat, or look at Daytona or Talladega number one this year, average starting position of the optimal lineup of those six drivers was 19.3. We saw the exact same thing last year in the races. Uh, 21.7 at Talladega 1, 20.0 at Talladega 2, whereas Daytona was 25.7 and 24. So it seems like Talladega um, definitely you you get to or you should target um, more of those mid-pack guys and take a few more chances, I think, guys in the teens, uh, depending on how qualifying goes and everything. But history shows that the... it's advantageous to be a little bit more aggressive than just stacking the back and going, you know, 25th or worse. Yeah. I got opinions on this too. Um, I think there's going to be a very clear divide between when Daytona was made a playoff cutoff race and when Daytona was in the middle of the summer. Um, You know, I think for that, because I think now as it's Daytona's playoff cutoff race and Daytona 500, and Daytona 500 has a unique qualifying format where you're always going to have good cars starting in the back. Uh, there's I, even those are different circumstances, right? At the Daytona 500, you often have good cars starting the back. Daytona qualify or cutoff race, you've just got everybody so crazy aggressive that mayhem ensues and the shit boxes can finish in the front. Uh, that's why those happen. And Talladega is more like you want to be picking guys that aren't the shit boxes, but that are in the back of the non-shit boxes. That's how you want to play Talladega. And yeah, of course, you need to have some guys up front as a result because you can't just play the guys starting 24th through 31st. So you definitely will have more guys because those shit boxes starting 32nd or worse or 31st or worse or whatever it is uh, are not making up those positions at Talladega like it, it, at the other two, you know, at the Daytona races. That shifts a lot of that forward into the teens as well, and occasionally you'll get some more guys uh, even a little bit further forward. It becomes more likely just because all those guys back there aren't taking away those extra points. So moving from uh, moving from 36 to 12th is a lot different than moving from 26 to 12th. So that's why you don't end up seeing these guys in the 20s as much optimally either. So it distributes things a little forward a little bit more as well. So that's the difference. Now, I bet if we went back before Daytona was a cutoff race and was in the summer, I think you'd see a clear delineation between Daytona 500 and the other Daytona plus the two Talladegas. Uh, 
especially you know with the way qualifying is different and, and especially in the charter era where you got these you know air quote ship boxes again starting in the back more frequently uh you know it, it definitely seems to be more based off of especially a non-formula as well there's the formula era of like setting starting right. lineups with yeah. covid so it becomes a little hairy uh, i'm not gonna sit here and worry about like exact starting positions or 30s or 20s or whatever i'm just gonna look and see qualifying and then say okay we've got our group of like slower cars we know who they are they're the the where cars the whoever is in the bgm cloud car whether it's him or somebody else uh you know etc we got a couple of those but then other than those guys uh you know i mean even Corey joy can be competitive you've got whoever is going to be in the the seven car i think it's gonna be castle because i think Blicky's still recovering from his injury you know other than like castle and, and maybe lajoy but even lajoy is pretty competitive at these uh you're that's it. That's like the back four or five cars uh, that you're worried about, and everybody else is still viable. You're not worried that Todd Gillen can't race his way to the front because he sure as hell did in the Daytona 500. You're not worried that uh, Harrison Burton or, or whatever can't race their way to the front because they did. Uh, so, um, and there's no guarantee Harrison Burton's even starting in the back. I mean, he qualified towards the front in the Daytona 500, but you get my point. Like, these are going to be the guys you want to pick from are in the, the upper 20s. And maybe 30, 31st, uh, depending on where they qualify, of course. Uh, if, if Landon Castle jumps in at 26th or something, you're probably playing him a lot less than uh, if he's, you know, then, then somebody's qualifying. What I'm saying is somebody's good, probably, or air quote, good. Non-shitbox is qualifying 32nd then instead of uh, 31st or whatever. But it all depends on how qualifying shakes out. Uh, but the idea is it certainly will push things forward a little bit more. Uh, we do have 37 cars this week, it should be noted. Exactly. So that's just the other about thing. To bring that up. We don't have 40 yep. cars, we have 37. So that also pushes things forward a little bit more as well. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see what... Because um, Daytona 2, the cutoff race, is still pretty fresh in people's minds. Um, I'm interested to see what that does to the shitbox ownerships. Because it... It's very rare, and and you know we talked about this with the Daytona preview. It's it's especially this race. I think this race is the most predictable when it comes to projecting ownership for DFS purposes, which that is where you get your edge in these contests at Talladega and Daytona. Everything else is pretty much up to chance, to be honest with you. But yep. at the same time, I'm interested to see what Daytona two results due to these shitbox ownerships because it was very rare. It has been very rare for those guys to go above 5%. They're typically in that 3% range, maybe hit the 4%, rarely hit the 5%. I'm really interested to see guys like BJ McLeod, uh, Cody Ware, if he races, uh, David Reagan, Landon David Castle. Reagan was pretty high at Daytona, I David, thought, right? Uh, David yeah, Reagan 20. was 20, 26% at Daytona. Um, I, and obviously because he was yeah, – and he, he's going to get super high as well this week. It, I think he's racing um, mm-hmm. if he qualifies back there because he finished well at Daytona 2, again, just like uh, he did the Daytona 500. But guys like BJ McLeod, Cody Ware, those real shit boxes typically do not get any ownership. And even Noah Gregson, who started dead last at Daytona 2, only got 23%, yeah. which is – you know, pretty pretty wild when you actually consider it. And and you know, you talked about Todd Gill and Harrison Burton. Those are other guys that people just shit on DFS wise this week. 
Yeah. And and those are always I'm always going to go back to the well on those guys. And if they wreck out, then so be it. You know what? That's so be it. But if you're going to give me Todd Gill and Harrison Burton at 10 to 15 percent ownership, starting 29th and 30th all day, yeah. I'm going to go 40% on these guys mm-hmm. and not think twice about it, and I might even go higher than that. Like, that's that's where my edge is going to be every single time. Yeah, and I regret – like, we talked about this after Daytona. I regret not – because of the whole rain thing, I thought the rain shortening would – potentially rain shortening. It didn't end up shortening it, I believe. Uh, yeah, I mean, we got the whole thing in. Yeah, we had the rain delay, and then Austin Dillon – they came back, and Austin Dillon won anyway. Uh, but – I regret like moving away from some of those sh- air quote ship boxes because I thought the rain was going to be more rain short. And I had a pretty good chunk of all of them, all the guys that finished inside the top 10, you know, that were in that million dollar winning parlay. Uh, I had a good chunk of all of them. And day of, I reduced it because of the threat of rain. Uh, and and I, if you, if, if our memory serves me correctly, that was run on a Monday because it got rained out on that, or on the Sunday because it got rained out on the Saturday night or whatever. If, uh, yeah. So, and then there was the whole heat of the day thing, blah, blah, blah. Like that didn't really matter. I was more just worried about the rain shortening, uh, giving those guys less of a chance. So I reduced my ownership and obviously I'm kicking myself. Now we know better for next year. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You just, (laughs) those guys are in play, but here I don't think they're in play as much. And if their ownership's going to be inflated, I think it's a great week to go not underweight, but just kind of go optimal where you would think on them, like the the 10% range instead of the 15 or 20% range on them, uh, or even higher, like with David Reagan. So it, it all depends. Um, we may not even have qualifying with the hurricane in the forecast. Mm-hmm. Uh, potentially, you know, some of those outer bands may be hitting the track. And if that case, I'm really curious what the order would be because we have guys like, uh, I don't know, Kyle Busch, he finished dead last at Texas. Uh, Cole Custer finished 35th. Um, you know, we got uh, Christopher Bell finished 34th. They're going to be pretty far down in that order. Now, I know some of it's owner points, but if you didn't end up making a fast lap either, then that'll push you down pretty far. So we could see Bell in the mid-20s. We could see Kyle Busch in the mid-20s. Then they're going to be really high-owned. And, again, I'm going to want to be under on them and a little over on maybe somebody like uh, Todd Gillen, who finished 28th in that Texas race. So you know he'll be starting down in the, the low the 20s or high 30s. I believe Daytona was the same way. Didn't, didn't qualifying get canceled there? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think we had – we didn't have the Watkins Glen mayhem the race before to really screw up the running order uh, for – by setting it by order. Whereas here, we've got – you know, I mean, Corey LaJoy finished 14th. So all of a sudden, he's not going to be qualifying 28th or 29th off off of order, you know, off of of formula. Uh, So it's certainly going to be different. I have a bug right here that I need to – get rid of so start talking <laughs> there there's bugs in vegas there is there's like really nasty one like huge it's got like wings and it's like red and it's not like, <laughs> it doesn't look like a wasp or anything it just looks like a red ginormous fly it's nasty so i just kind of want to yeah. get it out of my peripheral right here so yeah go ahead um but yeah you know looking back at, at daytona 2 bubba wallace was about the only guy that that really i wouldn't say suffered from the the order being um, set the way it was, but he was he ended up being chalked that week fifty five fifty point five five percent ownership starting back in thirtieth, which is expected for Bubba Wallace at these super speedways super speedways if he starts that far back. Um, but you know, 
I don't even yeah I haven't seen any of the um, actual calculation of what it would be if it's rained. I was looking at the forecast just a little bit ago, and it actually the forecast doesn't look awful. Um, Saturday is like a fifty percent chance of rain, but everything else is pretty clear for for uh, Talladega. And obviously, that can change as the week goes on, as as depending on what happens down in Florida. But um, definitely something to keep an eye on. But with that being said, and as you were talking about with Daytona two. Should you really keep an eye on it, or should you just run this race DFS wise, betting wise, without even thinking about the rain? And, and because it, it, ca- it can cause you to second guess yourself and, and second guess your strategy. And like I know I'm notorious for that, and I have been for with guys getting the penalty of getting sent to the back. You know, the day of the race, I always I feel like I'm always making the wrong decision when I should really just stick with my gut but I don't, you know, should, is it something we just shouldn't worry about? It's because it's definitely going to be talked about, you know, if, if not only if rain cancels out qualifying, but if there's rain in the forecast on Sunday during the race, is it something we need to just ignore? Yeah, that's always a tough question. Um, I think probably and there's really no, no way to answer it because like if they wouldn't erect at Daytona, then we should have cared about the rain, you know? Right, right. Exactly. I think we mostly just need to treat this as, as Talladega super speedway race. And we need to start treating the Daytona cutoff race as a Daytona cutoff race, super speedway race, regardless of the weather. Uh, so I think I definitely screwed up there at thinking, overthinking the weather aspect. And I'm so mad. Cause, uh, you know, uh, just it's it's like when you you know we all relive those things like the Blaney at Martinsville or whatever uh, for you and for me it's like this one right now I'm reliving that like I'm more upset about that than I was about than I was about the Daytona 500 because I thought my strategy at Daytona 500 was fucking brilliant and I all you know I had a shot at winning a million dollars but for the Daytona cutoff race if I had left my strategy as is. I'm sure I would have won a good amount of money. I don't necessarily think I would have won the optimal lineup or anything, but I'm sure I won a good good amount of money. And uh, unfortunately, I moved away from that because of the rain and the forecast the next day, um, and, and overthinking it and everything like that. So it's too bad, but you just got to keep plugging. And you know, it, it is we're just gonna have to wait and see. I don't know how this is all gonna shake out for Talladega with the rain, with qualifying, no qualifying. We'll see. Uh, and so that will also just lead us to what strategy we do we use? I don't know. I can't say, but the strategy I'm always going to use at super speeder races is ownership. Uh, I'm going to be underweight on drivers. I think will be too highly owned and I'm going to be overweight on drivers that I think will be too low owned. And that's it. That's literally my strategy at all of these. If you, if you want to ask me what my overarching strategy is, that's the strategy. And I don't care whether it's Daytona or Talladega. Whether it's the 500, the cutoff race, or Talladega, uh, my strategy is going to try to be to take advantage of ownership percentage, period. Because everything else is not completely random. You know, there's some predictability to these races around 10 to 15%, uh, lower in absolutely batshit crazy races, and, and higher maybe in some Talladega. So, like, maybe some 15% side on Talladega here this weekend. But uh, it's still only 15% predictability. So, uh, my strategy is just to, you know, ownership is like 75, 80% predictable. So it's just to play ownership. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you probably know what I'm rooting for when it comes to ownership this week. And that's a popular driver and or drivers in the first couple of rows because Daytona two, Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, front row, 9% and 16% ownership. Joey Logano started third, 11% ownership. 
give me a situation like that. Give me that. Give me that freebie right off the bat, because like you know, like I'm pretty sure you were on the same strategy as me when it came to Daytona too. We just completely faded the top five, mm-hmm. not just not just the top two, the top five. Just compl- I didn't even allow them to be put into my lineups at all. I yeah, completely I took. Them I out. can't remember what it was. It was at least five. It might have been six, seven, or eight. Uh, I think the only front runners, air quote front runners, I had were maybe Reddick and Harvick in the top like eight or something. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, and even then, it wasn't much of either of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, first Talladega race, you know, is Bell and Truex on the front row. They combined for fifteen percent ownership, and then Daytona five hundred, Kyle Larson on the pole, which we know how awful he is at super speedways 18 percent ownership uh keselowski starting third which he had a very good race that race almost 18 percent ownership but you get the point should not be that high and and i'm gonna harp on this every single time we come to daytona talladega because it continues happening do not fall for the trap of follow or of going with these guys that start up front it just so much has to go right for those guys to even come close to the optimal lineup that to have them anywhere above like one percent, in my mind, is just insane. Mm-hmm. I, it, you know, it's just it's so unlikely just because of how this stuff plays out. So always gotta always gotta throw in that little nugget there. Just do not um, don't don't mess with the guy starting up front. It's just not worth it at all. And I, like when it comes to to guys that are going to be under or over owned starting further back. That's where you kind of just have to take your stands. Like my favorite stands this year have been Todd Gill and Harrison Burton on these tracks because they're so under owned and they have so much potential to move up. Has it worked out? Not particularly well, but I, I profited at Daytona two and I think I profited at, at Talladega one. Uh, and I, I lost a little bit at, at Daytona 500, but you know, guys for the back, you just have to take your stands. Like, and, and being on those guys or being on a guy like Daniel Hemrick starting right there with them that gets similar ownership, it's the exact same thing. It's, it, you can really tell these guys that are starting you know, 25th or worse, or, or like obviously we don't know who those guys are this week, but the typical guys that you see starting 25th or worse, you're going to know who's going to get the ownership just by kind of following this stuff for the season. And if you don't, just check out, like, check out Nick's stuff, check out my stuff. Our ownership projections are typically very, very good when it comes to the super speedways because it is super predictable when it comes to the ownership here. Um, so, like, you know, maybe you like Daniel Hamrick more than you like Harrison Burton. Then, cool, G- die on that hill. That's fine. Like, he has the same same kind of chance as 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 Harrison Burton does. Like, it's, but I think those are definitely where you need to make your stands this week. And and other than that, you know, go for. Uh, I I love I love using the optimizer at Fantasy Labs on super speed races and i literally just turn everything up like randomness and bounce and all those other yep. settings i just turn them like all the way up and say go and i just make as many lineups as possible and then just throw them everywhere like that that is and then i'll tweak my high dollar ones like i'll do my high dollar ones by hand yeah but the, but i literally when it comes to the actual lineup like i set my rules i set my correlations that i want and then i literally make everything super random and I say go, and I save them, and I randomize them, and then I throw them in contests. Like that is how much I like. It sounds like I don't put much thought into it. I do when it comes to the rules and the correlations yes. and everything else. Yes. But as far as the actual lineup, the lineups themselves, how they end up, I don't care exactly. because that's how random these races are. Like, do not overthink this stuff. It's it's 
you need to have an overall arcing strategy more than you do need to to nitpick the actual lineups themselves. Yes, it's all about your strategy and and I know a lot of people who listen to us they only play 3 or 5 or 10 20 lineups and and that's so that's a little different because then you know it's it you do want to be like well this that or the other but at the same time if you just still even follow all those rules or you know everything Jordan just said set some rules set some correlations and and um that'll still build you 20 good lineups uh it, it's just you have fewer lineups to work with uh but it'll still build you some good lineups so very often I'll do like I must have at least one driver starting whatever or worse because I feel like there's often a, like a tier where it's like okay there's at least a couple of good drivers starting 28th or worse so I want to have at least one driver starting greater than 27 and a half starting position so I'll set a rule like that I'll set a rule like correlate the shit boxes uh you know if shit's gonna hit the fan it's gonna you know, all the shit boxes should be in the same lineup type thing. Um, I'll set a rule of, you know, sometimes occasionally, depending on the circumstance, uh, I, and I thought the cutoff race maybe was going to be a good spot to do it with certain drivers that were locked in, is to correlate them with non-locked in teammates. Uh, so there's just certain things you can do, you know, a rule of at most one driver starting inside the top seven or whatever, because maybe there's a tier between seven and, and eight. So starting better than seven and a half, uh, where like all of a sudden eighth is Joey Logano or Denny Hamlin. They're like one of the best super speedway racers in ever of all time. Then you probably want to at least have some exposure to them. So I'll say at most one driver starting better than seven and a half, but I'm okay with the driver starting inside the top seven. I'll say nobody in the top five. So either seven or six, and then Denny Hamlin starting eight, especially at Talladega. I think that's okay. Uh, so, you know, it, it all depends on how qualifying shakes out and where the tiers of drivers fall off. Uh, that will be how I define my rules. But then the idea is once I've set the rules, I just keep go. And it builds however many lineups I want, and then I just stick them in the contest. I don't think I edited a single lineup by hand, and I had 450 or 500 lineups uh, for Daytona. The, not the 500, but the most recent Daytona race. So, yeah, right there with you. Uh I think we should address because this is the first super speedway race since the million dollar parlay win that our listener stacking Denny's listener won. I don't think this is the week to correlate the, the shit boxes. Uh, I don't think we'll see the mayhem we saw at Daytona. That said not impossible. Um, but, uh, don't think it's the week to do it. And I don't think any books are offering that anymore anyway, because they got taken for a ride and it's silly they should have been offering these things every race since Daytona because they would have made a ton of money. Uh, and I think they should still offer them. I do think they should offer them by taking some extra juice. Uh, but I don't don't think this is going to be the spot where the the back markers finish very well. I mean, let's look at what happened in the first Talladega race. We had Lana Castle finish 19th. Uh, BJ McLeod finished 26th. Uh, JJ Ailey finished 25th. David Reagan finished 24th. Right, That doesn't look like good finishes but then when they all finish inside the top 10 they, they either all finish bad or they all finish inside the top 10 so again there's correlation between these guys at these tracks so if somehow talladega turns into a crazy fest i'm okay with if you are going to play these guys 10 percent i don't or you know it depends again where qualifying shakes out but if if theoretically 10 percent is optimal i'm fine with doing them 10 percent 
just correlate the shit out of them in the Fantasy Labs Optimizer rule because they are very correlated. They're probably more correlated than any other drivers in this whole field are these shit boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, even odds just for top ten, like there's nothing. There's nothing great out there. No, it's, it's a yeah, little we bit. We haven't even talked about bets yet that we've made or haven't made. Yeah, I, I'm kind of looking at the board right now um, for outright winner and um, surprise that Bubba's at 18. Um, yeah, I'm figured, probably going to hit that. <laughs> figured he'd be shorter than that. Um, that definitely pops up. He's 12 at Caesars, which is funny. Uh, Chase Elliott, the favorite, 12, as is Blaney. Uh, you can get him at 13 at FanDuel. Hamlin's also at 12. Um, yeah, they, it, that's, that's what they do each time with these super speedways. They kind of just make like seven drivers the favorite. It's funny because all these drivers are, are 12. But then they're all 13 at one book or the other. So Logano's yeah, 13 yeah. at points bet. Hamlin's 13 at Caesars. Blaney's 13 at FanDuel. Chase Elliott's 13 at Caesars. Um, so if you shop around, you can get every single one of those four favorites that are 12 to 1 at 13 to 1 somewhere. And, and you know, I mean, there's other guys that are 12 to 1. Like DraftKings is chicken shit this week with Byron at 12, Larson at 12. Uh, but they are the ones who are also giving Bubba at 18. So not total chicken shit. Uh, so I am debating taking Bubba at 18. I have bet Stenhouse at 50, uh, although I tracked it at 40 because it had already moved by then. And I have bet Jones at 35. I tracked it at 30 because it had moved by then. Um, Jones arguably has been the best super speedway racer this year. Period. Agreed. Uh, and he's really good at Talladega specifically and has been his entire career. Yeah, absolutely. So I love the Jones bet. I'd still bet him at 30. I would still bet Stenhouse at 40. Um, and I think I'm going to tail Jim Sonis. So he was, uh, DMing me today, uh, on Twitter and, you know, we, we DM most weeks about what our models say and stuff. Um, I think I'm going to end up tailing him on Harrison Burton, 200 to one because of the 200 to one drivers, I think being in a Wood Brother equipment is, is the best. And he has performed well at super speedways in the Xfinity series, uh, and I think I'm going to grab probably Harrison Burton and Ty Dillon at six and a half to one for a top 10. And I may, may grab Landon Castle at uh, 12 to one for a top 10. Not sure about that, but like, these are all things I'm like contemplating, definitely contemplating Bubba at 18, contemplating Christopher Bell at 22 at Caesars. Um, I was contemplating mm-hmm. him at 20 and I always want to try to get Truex at 25 or 30 so if qualifying you know he ends up in the back or something i'm still i'm gonna take tricks 25 or 30 he's gotten to the front this year many times just hasn't worked out he's gotten to the front many times in his career and it hasn't worked out and i will keep going back to that well um i lost out on the brad kislowski sweepstakes there he opened at 25 was gonna bet him i was like well maybe somebody will give us 30 because we got him 30 at daytona and then he shortened the 20 and nobody else has opened up uh 20 or longer. I mean, he's 13 at FanDuel. He's 18 at points bet. He's 15 <laughs> at Caesars. So I definitely lost out on the Brad Kozlowski sweepstakes there. Um, don't know if I'll bet him at 20 or not, but that team has come on strong RFK racing. Uh, and uh, I definitely will be betting them in an upcoming race, but I want to give that away. I don't want to give that away because I don't want uh, anybody to hear uh what race, et cetera, why, and and sports books to adjust lines accordingly. <laughs> uh, right, th- right there with you with Jones. I actually like him plus one sixty for a top ten as well. 
Uh, if I was going to make a top 10 bet, I think there's a little bit of value there at plus 160. Um, but I, I'll be honest, I haven't made a single bet this week. Um, went pretty light last week. And I bet Ty Dillon top Chevy this. 75 to 1. I, that's your favorite bet, and I, if, if that's still available, I might have to tail that. I think it's 50 now. but um, I still don't hate it at 50, though. I mean, I bet it at 40 for the dates on a 500, and he lost by a foot. Yeah. Now, obviously, dates on 500 is dates on a 500, but it, you're getting extra at 50 now. Um, and I don't hate if it's still available. I haven't checked uh, in several hours. I don't hate Daniel Hemrick top Chevy 65 to 1. I can't bring myself to bet on Daniel Hemrick. He did finish fifth Ever. here uh, when he was with RCR. Can't do it. He is. He's one fifty to one at uh, Caesars. By the way, Caesars has some good odds this week. What's going on? I think Caesars odds are kind of meh. I also I tweeted it out Caesars last week. They didn't. I didn't even have outrights on Caesars last week. Yeah, and I a few other people said that as well. Like, get your shit together. I think it was depending on the state and whether you're on app or web. I was able to find it, but uh, took some searching. I don't remember what the avenue I went was, but uh, ended up finding it. Sometimes it's under like other and shit like that. Like it's it's just always fucked up. But yeah, they even tweeted at me several weeks ago when I said I couldn't see their odds or whatever, and they're like, we had a display issue. And then they finally got odds up like five seconds before the race. I'm like, yeah, get your shit together. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think I I bet Ty Gibbs or sorry Ty Dillon, not Ty Gibbs, the other the other tie in that incident. Uh, I bet Ty Dillon top Chevy seventy five to one. Contemplating Hemrick sixty five to one. I don't know if I'll do it. Contemplating Bubba. Contemplating Harrison Burton. Contemplating a few top tens. But right now, for me, I think my whole card is just uh, Jones and Stenhouse and uh, that Ty Dillon top Chevy bet. Uh, I do have some Xfinity bets sprinkled in, which I I haven't tweeted out. But let me see if they're still available because uh, these are super awesome ones. And I was waiting for more books to post um, because I didn't want to... You know, I didn't want to tweet these on Twitter and then find out other books would give us even better. Um, but oh, Truck Series is what I'm looking for, not Xfinity. Well, I did get Kligerman 41 in in Xfinity, which I tweeted out because I knew that wasn't going to last, so I didn't care about that. Um, but there's some more hidden ones in trucks. Looks like they have been bet down pretty heavy. Um, yeah, they got bet down pretty heavy, but I got uh, 101 for a top five. I got Spencer Boyd, and I got Blaine Perkins, each 101 top five on DraftKings. Perkins is now 25 to one. Boyd is now 12 to one. But Boyd actually won at Talladega in 2019 in the same equipment. And that team has had multiple top fives. Uh, and Boyd himself has finished top five in 25% of his super speedway races. And he was 100 to 1 for a top five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Perkins, on the Xfinity side, he, he won a stage and ran really well last year at Talladega. But also on the truck side, 
he is in a truck that had some very good top five results as well uh, recently with Cody Rohrbaugh. And, you know, if he raced really well in Xfinity at this track, uh, you know, why can't he do it in, in a truck that has also performed well? So, unfortunately, those are no longer available. Um, but I did grab those for the truck series. So I have two top five bets in trucks. But, you know, once uh, the week went on, I, I honestly, I was pretty disappointed with the odds. Um, Xfinity and, and trucks for Caesars, they posted today. Haven't bet a single thing in either of those because they kind of got scared, I guess, shitless from Daytona. Uh, looks like FanDuel got scared shitless from Daytona. And so, honestly, I think DraftKings has had the best odds this week, whether it be Cup, Xfinity, or Trucks. And, and in certain certain circumstances, I think they still have the best odds. But uh, not a whole lot out there at this point that I'm like in love with. I know with super speedway racing being so random, I tend not to bet guys that are 10, 12, 14, 15 to 1. Occasionally I will if uh, I feel like they've been extra strong. But with the way this car has been this year, especially in Cup, uh, not really seeing it. I'm not even sure if I'll bet Bubba at 18. Um, I don't feel like he's been as strong this year as he was last year mm. in super speedway racing. Um, we haven't seen as much of him getting to the front and staying up front. Not that it hasn't happened, but I feel like it happened more last year. It could just be bias or perceived bias, but uh, you know, I, I, I am considering Bob at 18. I, uh, I'm looking up uh, Ballybet odds here really quick to see if there's anything that sticks out. They're and pretty, to answer your question, Ty Dillon's 40 now at Top Chevy's. He was 50 and then he, yeah, I mean, 75 then 50 now 40. That. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Um, my my Ty, my Ty Gibbs 45 to 1 top Toyota was looking pretty strong there for a little while uh, this past weekend. I know people are like, uh, you know, what is that all about? I'm like, it's just straight math. Like, if there's going to be mayhem, then 45 to 1 is way yeah. too long for top Toyota. It almost worked Same. out. If, if, if Byron had wrecked Denny and Denny had, like, gotten into the wall or something instead of spun in the infield, I'm looking at Ty Gibbs top Toyota. <laughs> Same thing as betting Bubba top Toyota at road courses. Mm -hmm. Like, it's 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 by no means a, a I don't want to say smart bet just um just like knowing how Bubba Wallace races at um but it is road a courses smart bet. but <laughs> it, it, but it, but but from a betting perspective it's a very smart bet because we've seen it twice now over the last two years where he is the top Toyota and pays out a hundred to one like it yeah. did at Indy Road Course this year so and it's just pure odds I run my simulations I've got a model and I model every single position and the distributions of how every driver finishes in those positions and my model was saying fair on Ty Gibbs was around you know 16 to 25 to one for top Toyota and we're getting 45 and looking at the race it was even more mayhem than I expected so Probably sixteen was even too even sixteen or eighteen was too long. It probably should have been like twelve to one in that particular race. Although I thought it was gonna be more predictable than it was, I still knew attrition was gonna come into play. Forty-five to one was just too long. Uh, period. Like it's just straight numbers. It's just math. It's modeling. That's all it is. Yeah. Um. What about a guy like Michael McDowell, who's you know? Won a super speedway race before. Always popular bet. Seems like he's come down to earth a little bit more when it comes to sports books. He's at forty to one this week. DraftKings and FanDuel has him there. 
Uh, any love for Michael McDowell? I don't get it, man. Week? I don't get it. People love Michael McDowell. They're betting him at forty to one at Daytona. They're betting him forty to one. Whatever. No, no. The dude. And this is something I talked about with Greg Mathern. Um, he avoided betting Busher or sorry Stenhouse at uh, um, Bristol because he had never led a lap at Bristol or something. But Busher had never led a lap at at. at uh, and this isn't knocking on Greg. I'm explaining the backstory here. Um, Busher hadn't led a lap at Bristol either, and then he won Bristol. Uh, the reason I was more like, well, Michael McDowell, he's never really led by merit at super speedways. That's so much more concerning because it's so much easier to lead at super speedways. He did lead yeah. one time by merit several years ago. He led, I think, like 20 laps. But everything else is either in pit cycles or like one lap and he won the Daytona 500, right? And and it, granted, that's all it takes, but that's why he should be 80 to 1, not 40 to 1. Um, he doesn't get out and lead at these races. He can run third or fourth or fifth, and he's had a lot of those, but you need the guys in front of you to wreck on the last lap to win the race then because you're not passing them for the lead uh, in the Michael McDowell case. Like, I don't think he's ever taken the lead on merit in the past three or four seasons. Uh, I know, I think maybe it was 2017 or 2018, he led like 20 laps on merit, uh, which is cool. It, it can happen, but that's why I'm not betting him at 40 to one. I bet him at 100 to one, absolutely. And I have in the past bet him at 100 to one. Um, and I didn't for that Daytona 500, which I'm kicking myself for, but not at 40 to one. I'll bet him at 80 to one. I'll bet him at 100 to one. I won't bet him at 40 to one. Uh, and, and again, not knocking on Greg, just discussing like why I will pick certain drivers who don't lead laps to I'll bet on well because they're 125 not because they're 40 right there's a massive difference between 40 and 125 uh as to why I'll bet a guy and also it depends on the track itself it's a whole lot harder to lead at Bristol so I'm okay with you not leading if you're still running up front whereas it's a lot easier to lead at super speed races so if you're not leading there that's very concerning to me if I'm gonna bet on you at 40 to 1 um you know, I think that's that's a whole different ball game. Whereas if you're running second at Bristol, but you've just never led, you're still running second at Bristol. It's a much more predictable situation. That's in a true like second place car at that point, pretty typically. So uh, it also depends on the predictability of the race. I'm more likely to give more weight to a guy who ran second or third or fourth at a more predictable track than a guy who ran second, third or fourth at a 85% random track. And, uh, there are guys that just race differently at these tracks at Daytona and Talladega. Guys like Ty Dillon, guys like Corey LaJoy, guys like Michael McDowell, they race to not wreck. Chris Buescher does it as well. They race to not wreck. They don't really care about winning unless it unless the opportunity to win is very it, like right within reach at the end. Mm-hmm. But if they're fourth in line coming to the white flag, they're not going to make a move. Ty Dillon's not going to go out there and make a move. Uh, Corey LaJoy's not going to go out there and make a move. Now, he proved me wrong in Atlanta, but... That's different, though, because he had that track position. Exactly. For the most part, these guys aren't going to make a move. They're going to be okay with finishing fifth and and maybe having a chance if the guy's in front of them wreck. So uh, that's definitely something to consider at, at these super speedways when you're betting on guys to win. Yes, it's very possible that they could win. Um, it... It doesn't take a ton for guys in front of them to wreck and them to be right there and and pick up the win. But at the same time, 
you do I feel like if you're actually betting, you want the guys that, that are aggressive enough, not not like Ricky Stenhouse Jr. aggressive, but just aggressive enough to actually go out there and try to win the damn thing yeah. uh, as opposed to riding around and hoping for the best. But do you know who has the best average finish at Talladega outside of Kaz Garala, who only has one start? Um, Sec- second is Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Yeah, uh, Ricky's Ricky's really good here. Um, scrolling through, I'm just looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. Mm. This is a total Re- guess, and and I'm I'm not going to get it right, but I'm going to guess. Uh, Chase Briscoe. I didn't think that was right. That was a total guess. You're rooting for him this week. Ty Dillon. Ty Dillon. Yeah. Four, 14.3. He only has one finish outside of the top 19. Wow. Or, excuse me, one finish out of the top 17. And it came in the first race here this season. Yeah. Finished, finished 33rd after wrecking. Oh, and, and that brings me to another point. You, you, and this is DFS related. We keep saying we're going back to Todd Gilland. Todd was at Todd Burton and Harrison Gilland. Uh, Todd Gilland and Harrison Burton, well, they have six DNFs in six combined starts this year at Daytona and Talladega. Uh, but I'm still going to play them at 30, 35, 40% because <laughs> all it takes is for them to avoid the DNF and they're finishing inside the top 15. I did the exact same thing with Cole Custer last year in the second day to or Talladega race. Mm-hmm. Everybody was off him because he never finished. And what did he do? He started twenty eighth and finished thirteenth, and I won like fifteen grand that day. Yeah, all it takes. That's it's where you get these massive edges. Yeah, I mean, and if that's people why are I, just being results oriented, they're not going to play Burton or Gilliland, and I'm still going to play. Burton and Gill, and um, especially if they qualify in that like twenty-five to twenty-eight range, that's going to be like I'm going to smash the shit out of them. Then, mm-hmm. right there with you. And they're not riding around. Mm-hmm. I mean, her, Burton was running up front when Keselowski wrecked him in stage one of the Daytona five hundred. Uh, he was running inside the top ten. Gilliland was running inside the top fifteen for what was it like over eighty percent of the Daytona five hundred? If you look at the top fifteen yes. percentage stats, it was like over eighty percent, or it was like over seventy-five percent guaranteed. I mean, the dude is running inside the top 15 most of the Daytona 500. That's not riding around. That's just running up front. Uh, so, fuck yeah, I'm going to play these guys at Talladega again. I don't care. Uh, we know Front Row Motorsports can win at Talladega. They've run, they've won before with the David Reagan and, and David Gill and 1-2 finish. It's not like it's impossible for them. Um, you know, if teammates hook up the right way at the end of the race... It's not impossible that these guys win. I think it was better that it was Reagan and Gilliland because David Reagan and David Gilliland because the, David Reagan can get pretty aggressive at these super speedways, uh, and, and David Gilliland is uh, the consummate teammate. So I think a situation like that could happen where Michael McDowell is the consummate teammate to Todd Gilliland, and, and maybe Todd Gilliland gets uh, aggressive. Or Harrison Burton, while he's not known for being aggressive, he's, he's typically... Uh, in the mix, at least, if he avoids the wrecks. So, you know, why can't these guys not necessarily win, but finish inside the top 10? And I think of these bets here, you know, Todd Gillen's down to 180 as the longest. But I certainly don't mind a Harrison Burton at 200 at FanDuel. Uh, and that's why I said, like, maybe I'll bet him. And I've got I've got something on Ty Dillon I'd rather 
Um, like you're saying, he's not going to go out and race for the win, uh, typically, unless the opportunity is like right there. And even then, it will probably take those guys wrecking in front of him. But that's why I like the top Chevy bet, because if it's two Fords in front of him or two Toyotas or a Ford and a Toyota or, or whatever, you know, he can run top Chevy. Uh, he can just flat out run top Chevy uh, without having to win. Uh, so, yeah, and the one guy who I really wanted to bet and really wanted to be 200 or 250 to 1 is Noah Gregson. And I think he did open there at DraftKings, possibly, but uh, I missed it because Noah Gregson, we know he's aggressive. The dude doesn't give a shit. And I would bet him at 200 or 250 to 1 to win if I had uh, seen it or gotten it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think he moved before uh, I even realized. So, Speaking of Noah Gregson, did I. Did I read it right? He has four straight wins at Xfinity. First time since 1983, the year I was born, that a driver has had four straight wins in the Xfinity series. Dear God. Mm-hmm. Dude's just crushing it. Yes, he is. <clears throat> yeah, that, yeah, that team is going to be pretty formidable. Petty GMS, I think, with Gregson and Jones. Um, I like that. That's going to be a good combination. It's, you know... Ty Dillon, especially with the speed they're showing this year, yeah. Ty Dillon isn't an amazing racer at most of these tracks, but this is a good one for him. But Gregson's going to elevate that car as well, uh, and I think Petty GMS will be an interesting team to, you know, when you look at team totals for like wins, or or I don't know if there's going to be like Team A versus Team B and wins um, could be something like that to look at preseason for 2023. Um, another thing we didn't really touch on, um, but Texas, once again, a non-playoff driver wins. We have <laughs> yeah. yet, we have yet to an active playoff driver to win in these playoffs. Does that happen again this weekend at Talladega? You have to like, it, there's definitely a, a significantly higher chance, there's but chance. you know, af- after what we've seen so far, is it, is it even significantly higher? You know, <laughs> like these, we're not seeing the playoff drivers win. I, I think it's awesome, but um, I think it'd be a little funny if if Talladega's a race where a playoff driver, a remaining playoff driver, gets in victory. If lane. I have a, a a gut boy feel, uh, if you want to call it that, um, Kyle Busch doesn't give a fuck, right? At this point in time, right. he, his cars just keep breaking. Yeah, well, I'm saying like he has zero reason to give a fuck right now. I could see him just if if he's still alive late, just not. Two shits. It's all for him taking this win, um, and that would be a non-active playoff driver. Like Reddick, you know, Reddick and Kyle Busch made the playoffs, but they're not active in the playoffs anymore because they're out, eliminated. So yeah, if, if that happens, I mean, it could be anybody. Obviously, it could be Truex Jones, Bubba, whoever. Uh, but like, if I want to go gut boy feel, uh, I would go with Kyle Busch as somebody who I think is you know he runs so well at super speedways and he's had so much bad luck um it feels like he's involved in a wreck every race although this year he finished sixth at daytona third at talladega um but then obviously uh wow he was 10th at daytona but i think his car was like broken or something um from all that wrecking uh but somehow he pulled off 10th place finish at the the daytona race um where you know all the ship boxes won but uh point is you know i think he's He's in a great spot to be aggressive as hell uh, at the end of this race if he can just be there at the end. Is there a playoff driver that's dock blocked this week, or who's dock blocked? 
Doc blocked. I did get my pick. Uh, I believe it. Oh no! Is it? Is it? <laughs> I like the. It is. Uh, it's Eric Almirola for like the five thousandth time. Oh this my year. god! Again, Almirola. I didn't even realize when I tweeted it because, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I didn't realize it, but how many times this year have I had Almirola? Holy shit! At least eight. I feel like one. So Phoenix, Kansas, Charlotte, so that's three. Gateway's four. Atlanta's five. Pocono is six. And this is number seven. Seven out of 31 points paying races, I have had Eric Almarola as my driver. And guess what? I had Truex one two, three times this year as well, and, and all three have been since Sonoma, which was the 16th race of the season. So, it, like, it just feels like I'm getting, like, Almarola and Truex to death this year. Uh, I've had Daniel Suarez twice. No, three times? Just twice. I've had Daniel Suarez twice. Um, it, I feel like I'm getting a lot of these, like, same drivers just over and over again. Uh, last year it was Austin Dillon. I think it was. I got like two or three times, but I didn't. I don't think I got anybody more than three. This year I have a driver seven times and another driver three times. That's insane. I went through. I went through a little doc blocked part of the schedule when I was getting. I I've been getting uh, the seventy eight a lot this year, but uh, over the last five races, um. I forgot. I missed a race in there. But over the last five races, random fantasy racing, I have three top tens, nice. including last week. Last week at Texas, when I had Byron, I have Truex now for Talladega. Um, but also uh, going oh, back man. to, well, I, I've I've dock blocked Truex so hard this year. He finished <laughs> dead last at Bristol. He finished twenty sixth at Sonoma, which you know he used to be the greatest, one of the greatest road course races of all time, <laughs> essentially. And the race he finished eighth in was Daytona, and he still missed the playoffs. After finishing eighth, he still missed the playoffs. Yeah. Because a non-playoff driver won, and Blaney somehow, despite with a broken car, finished close enough to Truex to squeak into the playoffs. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, Who is your pick to win? Which, by the way, uh, last time we did this was Bristol, and we both had guys finish in the 30s. You had Kyle Busch. Mm-hmm. I had Blaney. Kyle Busch, 34th. Blaney, 30th. Talladega 2, who's your pick to win? That Jones boy. Let's do it. That uh, Jones boy. I like it. I like that. I was almost going to say Kyle Busch, and I feel like I've been picking Kyle Busch a lot lately. So I'm going to pick that Jones yeah. boy, and Kyle Busch is actually going to win. Over the last... Uh, Nine picks, well, now ten. Over the last ten picks on this podcast, you've picked Kyle Busch four times. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't and pick I'm the, uh, Kyle Busch then. I'm the, I'm the same as with Elliot. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked I picked Elliot uh, four times. I'm not going to pick Elliot this time, though. I think I picked two winners, though, right? I mean, obviously I picked Reddick, and then I think I got Larson winning. Uh, you got Larson at Watkins Glen, yep. Yeah. I didn't go back before Nashville because – if I can't find it in the episode within like a couple minutes, I just say screw it. And I couldn't find like Sonoma and them. I couldn't find it. So gotcha. Makes um, sense. I'm going to go Austin Cindric. 
I want to see some cool shit happen on Sunday. There you go. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go Cendric. There you go. It probably makes most sense to take a playoff driver just because with the teams that are still alive, they'll be scheming to get these guys the win. But Eric Jones, um, the non-playoff drivers have just as much incentive to win that aren't teammates, and Eric Jones is not a teammate to any of them, with the exception of Kyle Busch. I think he just doesn't give a fuck at this point. I keep seeing tweets about JGR potentially sabotaging his cars, which I'm kind of getting sick and tired of hearing. Then they've been sabotaging <laughs> Truex's cars, and they've been sabotaging Christopher Bell's cars, and they've been, you know, or whoever. <laughs> there's there's no way they're sabotaging these new cars that they barely have any stock of. Like, exactly. Yeah, that's ridiculous. They've yeah. Been, then they've been sabotaging Ty Gibbs' cars because he's been slow as shit. Yeah. It's, or maybe that, it's just how things have been playing out. There's no conspiracy. Yeah. Kyle Busch is having an f- awful season this year. like Which sucks because he's actually been really good this year yeah. in a lot of races. He just has had the worst luck. Like the race he was going to win at Vegas, obviously, the or, or here, Truex was going to win, I should say. I think Truex was catching Kyle Busch two to go, and would he have passed him is another question, but it was either going to be Truex or Kyle Busch. The caution comes out. Um, Kyle Busch won a stage at Kansas. He led the most laps at uh, Gateway, right? Like, there's just been shit that's happened. Um, finished second at Pocono and got DNF'd, uh, or disqualified, I should say. Led the most laps there. Uh, you know, won stage two at Daytona before shit hit the fan. Um, led the most laps at Darlington and car breaks. Was leading when, you know, the thing shut off, essentially. It's just been such bad luck, but it's not because of the driver, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. One win in his last 47 races, uh, and that win was Bristol Dirt earlier this year, and we all know how that race went. Yeah, yeah he, he that was the one he backed into. <laughs> yeah. So, if average you're, finish if this you're year Tyler is 17.7. If you're Tyler Reddick, how much do you hate Chase Briscoe right now? Because if you won that, that's five playoff points. And I think you make the next round. <laughs> wow, I never thought about that until just now. That's wow. Something. Mm. That's definitely something. Mm. And that's why everything Ty- like that's why these wins matter. Like that's why these playoff points matter. Oh man, and Talladega is gonna be pretty interesting because these Playoff drivers have to stage points race. There isn't a single oh, one yeah. of them that can't. There's a, maybe Logano could ride around, but even then that's stupid because if all these other guys get playoff points, all of a sudden going into stage three, instead of being 37 points ahead of the cut line, you're 17 or or 25 points ahead of the cut line, which you'd rather much, much rather be 37 points ahead of the cut line. So everybody's going to be running, trying to run. All these playoff drivers are going to be trying to run up front uh, at the end of these stages. Yeah, there. I couldn't imagine a single one of them pitting before, right before the stage. Yeah, we might see it with other cars, but there, I, I don't see any way that these playoff guys do it. Um, and it's not going to hurt them. Like Talladega, like the, right. it does not matter here. But it will be definitely something to keep an eye on if you're if you're betting stage wins. Um, playoff drivers. You know, playoff if if for any reason playoff drivers would would be at like forty or something to one odds, give me that. All that. Yeah. Because they're gonna be the ones that are pushing and Unless I think it's that Daniel also Suarez, incre- then just don't bet him. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. I, so actually, I need to this. look at I need to look at Daniel Suarez's stats at playoff uh, or not playoff at super speedways. Like, what is his laps led at super speedways? Because I feel like it's got to be pretty much zero. I think it's negative four. Negative four. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> he donated laps to uh, his teammates. That's how much of a good teammate he is. Um, he's just he's not good at super speedways, and I don't know what it is. But like, I think it's just an overall lack of talent. That's my theory. He won a road course race this year. That that requires some driving skill, I would say. Um, yeah. Cry is a good car. Yeah, well, certainly, but at the same time, um, you know, I think it definitely also takes some some skill. He led 28 laps at Talladega earlier this year, so just throw my theory out the window. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he led 19 laps with the Gunt brothers, but those are the only laps he's led at Super Speedways outside of one or two laps probably on pit cycles. Yeah, he's not he he's not good at these tracks. No, he's not. He's so bad, so bad. Um, Cole Custer's terrible too. But I will still play him in DFS because all he has to do is, like you said, start twenty eighth, finish thirteenth, or start twenty eighth, finish eighth. Um, right. He's not good at these tracks, uh, but he finished eleventh in the Daytona five hundred in twenty twenty one. That's good enough if he's starting twenty eighth. You know what I mean? And a guy like Cole Custer not being good at these tracks compared to a guy like looking at DFS ownerships compared to a guy like Daniel Suarez not being good at these tracks, if they if they start in similar positions, Suarez is going to be significantly higher owned than Cole oh, Custer is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because of the name, because mm-hmm. of how he's running this year, and mm-hmm. that's just one of Playoff those aspects that you have to – yeah, one of the aspects you have to remember, people aren't going to be on Cole Custer. They're going to be on Suarez. This is just a random example, but if – you know, they start 25th, 26th. Custer, Harrison Burton, and Todd Gilliland are all starting next to each other. I'm still playing Burton and Todd Gilliland more than Custer, though, because they actually have the ability to run towards the front more than Custer. <laughs> I'd agree with that. Depends. If they're like 26, 27, 28, and Custer's 26, I might be a little bit higher on Custer. Well, yes, of course, but I think uh, by and large, all, all things, things equal. equal. Yeah. 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 What was Custer's ownership, uh, you know, at some of these super speedway races, and where did he start this year? Because uh, that is that's an interesting one to me. Daytona two, he started fifteenth. He was four point eight percent owned. Daytona five hundred, he started thirty first, and he was nineteen point nine percent owned. Starting thirty first, he was less than twenty. Starting yes, and then the first Talladega race, Custer was. Started 29th, and he was 23.4% owned. That's too little. That's too little, even for a guy like Cole Custer. Starting in the 30s. Well, like, yeah, that first Talladega race, uh, Gilliland started 32nd. He was 129 And that's what I'm saying. Like, Custer was 20-something, and Gilliland was 12-something. Yeah. But I feel like people kind of came around in the second Daytona race because Gilliland was, well, he started 32nd. He was 15.6. And uh, Custer Harrison was Burton. What? Custer was four point eight, but that's because he was started fifteenth. Oh right, right. And then Harrison Burton was started twenty ninth, and he was thirteen point nine nine. Neither of them were above fifteen, though. Like, yeah, that's ridiculous. Then, like I was saying before, Daniel Hemrick, he started twenty eighth, and he was twelve point nine. Like, what if it was Hemrick, Gilliland, and 
Hemrick Gillen and Burton that avoided these wrecks at the Daytona cutoff race, right? I mean, it could have been them. Obviously, it's the shitboxes were the ones who did because they're starting or they're hanging out way back there. But there were still some drivers that survived these wrecks and you know made it through. What if it had been those guys, right? They could have easily ended up in the optimal lineup. Easily, mm-hmm. it just so happens they all got caught in these wrecks as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the fact that these guys are fifteen percent in a owned I mean, starting in the twenties or thirties in a race that's like. 85% random, and maybe the Daytona cutoff race was like 95% random, I don't know, uh, you know, is is ridiculous. So, Especially yeah. Chase Elliott starting second, higher ownership than all three of them. That's, you know? that's and stupid. Even, that's stupid. And even, and even higher than Ty Dillon, who started 25th, he was at 12.2. Yeah, there's no edge in, in NASCAR DFS at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. God, mm, that's wild. <clears throat> um, yeah. Uh, so I've got that Jones boy. You took Austin Cindric. I like these picks, but you know it's just going to be like Ryan Blaney or something. Oh yeah. Every time you think something crazy is going to happen, then you know it's Blaney first, Chase Elliott second, and I'm just going with Jones. Nothing wild. Yeah, I'm just going with Jones because he's been good at these races this year. Period. Um, yeah. so I don't, I don't I like care that. if the race is boring. I don't care if the race is exciting. He'll be in contention. Yeah. And if, if I'm going to bet anybody outright, I think it's going to be Jones even at 30. Yeah. It's probably where I'm going to be at. I prefer Jones at 30 to Stenhouse at 40, which is crazy enough to say because Stenhouse is really good here too. Yeah. I just feel like Jones is a little bit safer. Plus I think he has a better car. Plus, I, he, has, he actually has a teammate. I agree with all that. All that. Um, matchups are another thing to pay attention to, especially if you if anybody's on <clears throat> some offshore sites. If you can get matchups, literally pretty much any driver, and it's plus 140 or more, just bet it. Like, that's that's been my strategy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I almost bet anything that's plus money, period. I don't care if it's plus 120. Um Unless there's a vast gap between the drivers, like if you're getting, if you're getting Joey Logano versus, uh, I don't know, uh, Cole Custer, and Cole Custer's plus plus one twenty, I wouldn't do that. But you know, that's like some pretty rare circumstances. If it was, if it was, uh, I don't know, let's say um, Austin Cindric versus Joey Logano plus one twenty, I'd still probably bet Austin Cindric plus one twenty there. Yeah. I agree with you there, but when it when it does get into like the ridiculous ranges, you know, especially like plus one sixty, like every single time, I'm just gonna bet any available anything available at plus one sixty. I'm betting outside of because like, of McLeod. Be, yeah, because of how oh give me a give me a shit box special at Talladega. Oh yeah, I would I, love I, that. I want I the shit box special that. at Talladega. Just pick oh, the plus I'd money live guy. for that. <laughs> I will. I will promote your sports book as much as you want if you give me a shitbox <laughs> special at Talladega. Absolutely. Speaking of uh, sports book, fuck DraftKings Sportsbook. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, well. Still pissed some, off. Been some issues there with them for you. That's ridiculous. Not good at all. <laughs> no. 
Yeah, I had some issues driving over to California to um, do my my DFS stuff with them. So that was annoying. Like My favorite part about this whole situation is now they just don't respond to me. They won't tell me what's wrong. <laughs> they don't. They don't even acknowledge that there's an issue. Yeah. Man. Ugh. It's brutal. That just irritates the hell out of me. Yeah. I, I would be irritated as hell to you. Um, I was laughing because, so you and I hung out last week, and you were like, oh, by the way, uh, NASCAR and NBC blocked me again. And I was like, really? And then you were like, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That That'd be awesome if they did. NASCAR on NBC, please block me. <laughs> <laughs> they unblocked you just to talk to you about the million dollar winner and re-block you. That would be so funny. I don't think I've like responded anything bad to them, so that might be why. I might yeah. have to just start you know, <laughs> talking shit again. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah, I was I was like anything that happens with Jordan, um, I always just take the under. Whether it's DraftKings having more problems with you or getting blocked by whoever, I'm just like just I just respond to under. <laughs> oh man! Hey, the last the final six races of the year. By the way, we're down to six races this year. That's pretty crazy. Um, but they're all on NBC. Yeah. Oh the, yeah. That's the, right. the official NBC. So that's pretty cool. That's that's super good. Um, and the schedule's been released. Uh. IndyCar schedule got released today, and uh, IndyCar schedule pretty much hasn't changed. NASCAR schedule, obviously, we have the change with uh, Chicago for Road America, um, and then the North Wilkesboro All-Star Race. But other than that, I think it's pretty much the same, right? I didn't notice any major changes other than that. Yeah, exactly. I didn't look at it super close, but... Yeah, I didn't look at it super close either, but I just know that was like the only real change. I think I'm going to try to get to that Chicago race. I think that's going to be a huge spectacle. It's going to be awesome. Um, definitely going to the Long Beach IndyCar race. Uh, so hopefully that'll be the the opportunity to meet my hero. Are you gonna Are you gonna try to hit up uh, the F1 race in Vegas? Oh, oh hell yeah! I think uh, I'm sure PJ will try to come out, and uh, you'll have to come out. It's going to be expensive as shit, but I think there may be options for cheaper ways of viewing as is what they've been talking about it's gonna be like it's gonna be like standing room only like party deck or something but i think heard there may be some options for that i'm like i'm great with that give me a standing room only party deck (laughs) yeah (laughs) cheap yeah (laughs) that sounds perfect that's my style yeah that'll be that'll be fun to see and i'm really interested to see how the chicago street race does i'm so excited about it I'm excited, but at the same time, I think just NASCAR and its history, I think it's going to be an absolute shit show. I'm okay with that. Um, you know what I really like is we see some some of these road courses, these drivers like spin off. I mean, like like think about Road America or Indy, and like everybody's just spinning everywhere, and then they're just fine. You can't have that at uh, Chicago. If everybody's spinning everywhere, they're going to hit the wall and, and have to do some repairs. So I actually prefer that in some ways. Because uh, it it makes things a little more random, and, and not that it's not random at the road courses, but then like you, you you can't come back from just like spin and win type stuff. I don't know. I, I like a one or two races where like if you're gonna spin, at least hit the wall and have to repair a car. <laughs> I feel you, but yeah, that's all I got for day or Talladega this week. Yeah, same here. Nothing. I mean, 
sportsbooks got super conservative after getting obliterated in this past Daytona. And it wasn't with necessarily the winner. Like, I don't think there was a – I mean, obviously some people bet Austin Dillon 30-1 to 1 to win. But I don't think it was, like, a monstrous loss for them on that. It was all on the top tens and the – the top whatevers and uh, correlated parlays and all that. But then they all just were like, fuck this. Like, you're not getting any driver at any good price now. No. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's brutal out there. The only, I was shocked when DraftKings opened Stenhouse at 50. Um, And so Westgate opens first pretty much every week. And they had Jones at, 30 and Stenhouse at 30, something like that. I can't remember the exact numbers. But I was like, hey, I can't bet any of those. I think it was like Jones at 25 maybe and Stenhouse at 30, something like that. And I was like, I'll just keep waiting. And then DraftKings open, Stenhouse 50, Jones 35. I'm like, I have to bet now because everybody will gravitate towards Westgate in the end. Um, yeah. And, because they're the premier like bookmaking Look, I don't know what to say. Like, everybody will gravitate. Like, I've seen DraftKings literally be like, oh, shit, and pull their lines and then post yeah. lines closer to Westgate. Um, that always cracks me up. Yeah. And so it's like, like once DraftKings opened, and I know they open after Westgate, but, like, oftentimes it's, like, shortly after they'll post their own thing and then try to gauge, like, a market reaction and then move pretty quickly. I was like, I have to hit Jones and Stenhouse right away. Um, but, yeah, I would still bet Stenhouse – 40, I would still bet Jones 30. Those guys are guys that are aggressive. They can get up front. They can lead. Uh, and then, like, of all the shorter drivers, it's like, who the fuck's going to win? I don't know. I mean, is it going to be Blaney, Hamlin, Logano, Byron? You know, not Larson. Um, he sucks here. But, uh, like, Ross, is it going to be? Like, all these guys, any of them could win. Elliot, uh, Kyle Busch, it doesn't matter who. So, like, if they're all 20 or less and there's 20 of these good drivers, you're not getting good odds on any of them. <laughs> So right. it's just like, what do you do? You just you're just literally just dartboard, and I don't want to bet dartboard. I want to bet okay if a guy is forty to one or fifty to one or thirty five to one, but he really should be twenty. Then I'll bet that. So that's where I'm looking yeah. at with these bets, and I expect to lose on these. You know, um, definitely expect to lose, but it's nice when you win. At at this point in the season, like. One, books are getting lazy, and two, they kind of have a really good feel on these super speedways. So you, a lot of times, like you said, unless there's major value there, which there really isn't this week, it is just a dartboard kind of thing. And it's 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 like it sounds really degenerate, but like I'm gonna bet on a couple drivers just to have action and have something to root for betting wise. Oh, I agree with that. And and I'll probably I'll probably correlate it with my DraftKings. Like guys, I'm l- underway on in DraftKings. I'll go and bet outright. Like just to, you know, kind of quote unquote cover my bases. But um did you see what Larry McReynolds said about Ty Gibbs today? Yes, I loved it. It was great. He's yes, hundred percent. I'm hundred percent on board with Larry Mac, what he said there. Yeah, he said uh Gibbs needs to go back to Xfinity until he learns to carry himself in the cup series. I agree. Hundred percent agree. Um Gibbs has shown that he will do something, apologize, say he shouldn't have done it, and then do it again. And this has happened multiple times now. And then he'll apologize. And this one wasn't even an apology. He said, I apologize. But, like, it's not really an apology. He didn't say he shouldn't have done that. He said, I need to be aware of my surroundings. That's not an apology. That's not, I shouldn't have done this. That's not, I made a bad decision. 
that's I need to be aware of my surroundings. If if I was a little further down pit road, maybe I would have done it if no people were there. Right? That's what how it comes across as like, well if I was aware that people were there, I wouldn't have done it. But if people weren't there, I still would have done it. You know what I mean? Like that's how it comes across. Yeah. It's I'm on board there with Larry Mack as well. Very yep. uh like in, in especially with Ty Gibbs's history. Like this is not this, this is not is, a one off thing. This, this is, is becoming it's not two a, off, it's not three off, it's like five off at this point. Yeah. And hell, when he's you know, when he's full time cup next year, I can't imagine what he's gonna be like if he's actually out there racing for an actual win. Yeah. I saw a um you know, and Denny Hamlin's been harping on the whole Byron thing. I saw a really interesting tweet. Um that was well. If Denny wants to send a message about these kind of things, about drivers retaliating and doing whatever and, and yada yada, being too aggressive, he should pull Ty Gibbs from the twenty three car this week. Uh, and well, I thought that was interesting. I was like, yeah, but I don't think Denny Hamlin's boss is going to go for that, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it, I think if Ty Gibbs wasn't Joe Gibbs' grandson, maybe Denny would consider doing that. But unfortunately. The a little nepotism's getting get in the way of that. Yeah. Which yeah, like I said, all these stereotypes that people make of Ty Gibbs are very actually very true. Yep. But we'll see what happens at Talladega this week. We go on to the Charlotte Roval next week and then we're down to the final eight drivers in these playoffs. So good luck to everybody betting this week. Good luck to everybody playing DFS and we'll talk to you next week as we head to Charlotte. And the final five races of this season. So, see you guys.